0: To be born with the capacity to feel means that we are intrinsically open and vulnerable to the whole range of feeling experiences. None of us can say to the world, or to other people, or even to ourselves, in this day i will feel only happiness i will feel only pleasant sensations i will feel only joyful experiences to be able to feel means that our lives and our worlds will always bring us that which is painful and that which is delightful that which is pleasant and that which is unpleasant It means that we will find ourselves meeting the whole range of experiences that it is possible for us as human beings to encounter. We will have grief as well as love. We will have loss as well as communion. A fundamental aspect of our existence of all of life is that part of our feeling capacity and feeling experience is that we will all encounter and experience pain in our lives. there is no one who is exempt or invincible there is no one who should, no matter how creative they are in strategies and prescriptions and willpower and armor No one who is able to totally transcend the actuality of pain. Our bodies will encounter and hold pain. We age, we experience sickness and frailty, and we also die. Our minds have seemingly very remarkable capacities. To become entangled in knots of suffering in knots of pain and confusion the very nature of our lives means that we will all encounter moments of loss times of separation times and experiences of failure moments when we will probably all at some point in our lives feel rejected or hurt There's the pain that comes to us through being deprived of what we want and the pain that comes to of receiving what we don't want. When we look at the world around us, We see that this capacity to experience pain and hurt is the thread one of the threads that runs through all of existence from the smallest creature to the most powerful person we also see that there isn't actually any pain that exists in isolation when we think of an experience we may have of anger of someone being angry with us and of us being hurt by the anger of another, sometimes through their words or through their actions. We experience the pain of being hurt, and yet when we look, when we really explore the very nature of anger, it is hard to find a beginning. In truth, it's actually hard to blame. Where does anger begin in our story? Where does anger begin in the story of another person our lives are interwoven with the stories and the lives of countless other people each one of us inherits in subtle and obvious ways the stories and the lives and the responses of countless generations before us sometimes we may experience in our lives the pain of being fearful, anxious, worried or self-conscious. Can we find a beginning? Can we find a source to it? Often we can begin to trace it or try to trace it and we see the way that our fears are so tied up with the fears of others, the fears of the past, the fears of the unknown. It is difficult to find any kind of beginning. When we look, sometimes that beginning is in a time before we were ever born. Hatred and greed and resistance. It seems that these are feelings, painful feelings, that can be passed from generation to generation. Pain is also the nature of separation. We know how painful it is to be separated from something that we long for or care for or wish for. How often we can feel the pain of that emptiness or vacuum within ourselves. Pain is also involved in the separation that can exist, that we feel existing from ourselves sometimes we can feel very separate from our own being. Now, some of the pain that we encounter in our lives, we might say it's almost part of the package of being human. It's humbling. We learn from it. We open through it. We connect to other people through it. We can see it comes with our lives if we love then we are exposed to loss if we care we are exposed to the possibility of disappointment intimacy will bring with it the possibility of separation and part of our journey as a human being as someone who seeks for wisdom is actually to have the willingness to be open and to learn through all of these experiences that we cannot avoid part of our journey as a human being is learning to embrace this variety of feeling experience with grace some of the pain we experience is not necessarily so much part of our human being lines some of the pain we experience is also born of ignorance and i would just like to clarify that word because when we use the word ignorance certainly in the buddhist tradition it's not like pointing the you know it's different than our conventional use of that word you know conventionally we When we call someone ignorant or someone calls us ignorant, it's almost like saying we're we're stupid or or dumb or, you know, totally confused. Ignorance in the Buddhist tradition doesn't imply in any form of stupidity or dumbness, Uh, not even implying necessarily an absence of knowledge. Ignorance in the Buddhist tradition means that there is a veil between how we see and what is actually true. It means that there is some sort of veil that is obscuring our understanding of what is true. Ignorance in our lives sometimes takes the form of wanting to deny or to avoid the truth of our lives and the truth of living ignorance sometimes takes the form of wanting to to deny the actuality that everything changes you know we have a collective kind of um mythology in our culture where we try and pretend that things last you know or that we can find things that don't change you know that mythology is evidenced in the way that uh, well you know there is a slight inclination towards holding or clinging we might say in our world sometimes ignorance takes a form of denying that the, the reality that there are no certainties in this life there are no certainties even in the next moment and sometimes ignorance takes the form of wanting to deny that. Sometimes ignorance takes the form of believing that wanting and holding is actually a path to the end of suffering, rather than in truth being a path to suffering. Wherever there is pain, there is a call for and a need for healing healing through forgiveness healing through compassion and healing through understanding now i think sometimes people have the impression that the buddhist tradition is somewhat obsessed with suffering um you know sometimes you you hear these statements that are attributed to the words of the buddha that says you know, life is suffering. Well, the Buddha, I don't think, actually ever said that life is suffering, but indeed did say that there is suffering in life and there is unsatisfactoriness in life and not understanding what is true. It would actually be true to say that the whole of the, this teaching And the whole of this path is actually in the service of the end of suffering. But the whole of this path and this tradition is actually in the service of healing. The Buddha was once asked by Ananda, how should we respond when we face pain in our lives? How should we respond when we are faced with suffering? And the Buddha answered that in the face of suffering, in the face of pain, that there are different avenues that open to us. And that some of these avenues and some of these pathways um, will bring about the end of suffering. And that some of the avenues that open up to us are ways of actually perpetuating suffering. And if, you know, it is kind of interesting to read um, some of the discourses or the questions and answers that were written you know, 2,500 years ago because we see so clearly you know, that 2,500 years ago people were responding to suffering in exactly the same ways that we respond to suffering. Making the same errors, falling in the same holes, stumbling in the same ways. And, you know, it does seem that as human beings, we are probably fairly slow learners. The Buddha spoke about one of the pathways of responding to suffering, one of the responses that often comes to us when we are faced with suffering, is the pathway of blame, which is essentially the pathway of anger perhaps we see in our own lives how quick we are to blame you know and i do feel more and more that we live in a culture of blame almost like we we think that we'll feel better if we can find someone to blame it has to be somebody's fault you know if there's something wrong or something unsatisfactory it's got to be somebody's fault. You know, and this becomes I think a growing phenomena in our world, you know, that every time something is amiss, our first thought is to look around and say, well, you know, who can we point the finger at? It is also true that blame arises at times because we don't feel like there's any other avenue open to us. When we are hurt, emotionally hurt, wounded, and I, when we are hurt on much more than just a superficial level, talking about a level of pain which is more than just a fleeting feeling of being bruised, but when we are hurt very deeply by something that occurs in our lives or by another person, It can happen that on an essential level, our whole sense of who we are becomes wounded. We are shaken inwardly. Our sense of confidence, um, our sense of inner respect, of inner wholeness, can be deeply shaken by by pain, by being hurt. It can lead to feelings, very deep feelings of being inadequate, of worklessness, of self-judgment, of powerlessness. These feelings can actually become, through experience of being hurt, they can become very deeply held belief systems about who we are, that we can carry with us into to our lives, where we feel, you know, I am inadequate, I am anxious, I am worthless, I am... I am powerless, built upon experiences of pain. They are adopted as a kind of inner vision, a vision of ourselves, which in turn shapes and molds the way that we relate to our world. Think about it. If we feel or believe ourselves to be very fearful, the world can feel like a very hostile place. If we feel very unconfident, very self-conscious, we can be endlessly on guard, waiting for something to threaten us, to, to harm us in some way. When we awaken, I think, in our lives to the ways in which we may have been wounded, because most of us at this point in our lives have managed to pick up a few bruises along the way, and sometimes when we awaken to the, the kind of feelings that we carry within ourselves, or the images that we carry within ourselves, we can sometimes find ourselves feeling filled with anger and sometimes with blame. Now, personally, I, I feel that sometimes that sense of anger that comes through awakening inwardly that it's not always an obstacle you know that it's not always a barrier because i think one of the very aspects of carrying a very wounded sense of vision is is to feel bereft of energy to to feel uh, you know such a lack of energy to feel so stuck that sometimes that sense of anger if it is embraced with wisdom embraced with understanding can actually be an awakening energy that leads us to question, to explore. I think if that sense of anger is embraced with confusion, then it can be a paralyzing energy that leads us just to be stuck in blame and tied to pain. You know, it's a little bit like that that uh, Buddhist story you know, of, a, of a person who is out in the forest and they They get shot by an arrow and they fall down with this arrow sticking out of their body and all of their friends rush to their assistance and rush to help them and want to pull the arrow out. And a person lying on the ground says, no, hold on a minute, you know, you're not touching that arrow until I find out what kind of wood it's made out of, who shot it, you know, what direction it came from, you know, why they shot it. In that sense of dwelling or being stuck, we are simply tied to the pain. Pain very often in our lives has a cause. I always feel a little bit personally somewhat suspicious about this, um, I think, somewhat spiritual neurosis that says, you know, if I have pain in my life, it's because I'm doing something wrong. You know, or if there's unhappiness or suffering in my life, it must be my fault. You know, and if I was more accepting and more generous and more compassionate and more open and more wise, then I wouldn't feel this pain. Now, of course, there may be some element of truth in that, but I think it can also become something of a kind of spiritual neurosis sometimes pain does have very real causes in circumstances around us in events around us in the words or the speech or the actions of another that doesn't mean that that awareness or understanding has to be translated into blame because nothing changes through blame except we might feel slightly more self-righteous blame is sometimes i think a very subtle sometimes a very obvious form of wanting and needing and dependency sometimes blame is a way of justifying or excusing ourselves from bringing about creative change based upon understanding you know sometimes when we are are uh, really blaming someone. It's really helpful to look at the energy of what is actually keeping that blame alive. What do we want? You know, sometimes we want an apology, or we want an admission of guilt, or we want the other person to feel bad, or we want them to suffer. You know, someone I was speaking to once, they told me, you know, like, as a teenager, they very much Fell out with their father and swore they would never have any contact again with their father in the whole of her life, and so you know she left home and years went by. She said, and then her sister informed her that her father had died, and again you know she she repeated her vow to have no contact, and she said, I'm not going to his funeral, and after the funeral passed, more years went by, and all the time she. Stayed in this mode, she said, of, of, of hatred and blame. And so one day I realized I was the only one suffering. If he wasn't suffering, I was the only one that was suffering. And somehow that suffering had actually become a kind of a cocoon, a way of, of finding many things in her life finding sympathy, finding compassion, finding ways of of surrendering to her own sense of creativity, she said. When we are tied to blame, we are tied to pain, and we are also tied to the past. We are tied to the past, which makes it very difficult in our lives to actually move on. And I think it is helpful when we find ourselves blaming a lot for being stuck in blame to really question really what point are we no longer following a path of healing and what point are we actually following a path where we are perpetuating suffering. You know, sometimes when we're sick, physically sick, and we don't know what's wrong with us, There is the pain we experience through being sick and there's also the pain that comes through not knowing what is wrong with it. And I know many times people say they go go eventually get a diagnosis, you know, they get a label for what's wrong with them. And there can be this quite incredible sense of relief, you know, oh, now I know I have this, you know. Their mind somehow finds a place of, of security or knowing. But then, of course, it would be quite strange in our lives if we recovered from that illness and went on through our lives defining ourselves by that diagnosis. We would think, well, this is, you know, kind of off. And yet, sometimes in relationship to the past, to emotional pain, to self images, we, we tend to pick up these labels. About ourselves, these self-descriptions, these, these conclusions about who we are that are related to the past, and yet somehow they become our truth in the present. They become our belief about who we are. We can get very stuck in those labels and conclusions. A part of healing certainly is clear comprehension. To really know what we're experiencing, to really know the nature of pain, to know the nature of the feelings that we're in contact with, that clear comprehension is very, very important for healing. The clear comprehension is different than blame. Clear comprehension is about this moment, about our present and our present is not static our present if we are really truly deeply in touch with it is something that is very fluid it is changing it is constantly unfolding it doesn't stay the same but conclusions certainly stay the same you know sometimes it is like we experience in meditation you know we can have something happening in our bodies Um, you know that might be unpleasant that might be painful and we can also have at the same time the story about what is happening these can be two very different things if we go deeply into the experience of what is actually happening in our bodies well you know this notion of having a sore knee becomes very much less concrete because we see well this sore knee or this sore back is actually this whole tapestry of, of sensations that are moving, that are shifting, that are intense, that are less intense, that even as we have that those sensations that are changing in our bodies, at the same time we have the capacity to see, to listen, to touch, that all of this is taking place. But look what happens when we have only the story. How very much the story can be so concrete, so convincing, that we lose that sense of fluidity, lose that sense of unfoldment of life. We lose that sense of life, and the story can become so powerful and so make us so stuck. It is also true that the story separates us from the reality. I think this is also true in our emotional lives, in our feeling lives, in the whole life of who we are, that the story separates us from the reality. And, you know, the story, unfortunately, um, it always works within the boundaries of what we know, what we have already known. You know, that's the way our minds work. They work within what we know, what we have experienced in the past, what we already know. The story, unfortunately, is limited. That is not so true of the reality. You know, the reality is about more about what we don't know. And sometimes when we get caught in our labels, our descriptions, our conclusions about ourselves, You know we get so entranced in that story that the reality has moved on but we're not with it we're not there or we can't be with it sometimes because of our attachment to the story the first step i feel in healing somehow must be the willingness to step out of the story To connect with what is actual, with what is real in this moment, in the way that it is. Stepping out of the story into what is actual in this moment also means, as part of that healing, truly having a willingness to let go of the past. Which doesn't mean forgetting the past. It doesn't mean trying to erase it, but willing to have that change of heart and that shift in direction where our focus and our passion is actually for the present. The second path or avenue that the Buddha spoke about in relationship to pain or what happens when we face pain or difficulty is the pathway or the avenue of despair. And this too, we can, you know, depression, despair, resignation, these too can be feelings that we can be very familiar with. You know, that that sense of, you know, wanting to throw our hands up in the air and say, why has this happened to me? You know, what have I done to deserve this? Um, Feeling resigned and, and powerless. And despair is certainly as strong a prison as is anger, because there is so much heaviness in despair, so much heaviness of spirit. The feeling that, you know, I can't begin anything new because I'm already going to fail. You know, the, the feeling of not being able to venture into new territories because they're surely not going to work out for me. That feeling that, you know, that happiness and well-being is always the kind of territory of somebody else. And despair holds also within it, very similar to anger holds within it a very strong level of conclusion. And the most outstanding conclusion of despair are held within the mantra of I can't. I can't. This becomes the mantra of despair. We see sometimes the the most favorite refuge of powerlessness or of despair is fantasy. Because that feels like the only place where we are free to imagine something different. So fantasies become very popular, you know, filled with despair, where well, there's this little place we can go, where everything has a happy ending, where we're heroes and heroines, and our life is filled with excitement and joy and successes unfortunately the fantasies really don't last we see it too in meditation you know sometimes you keep coming up against the same walls this often happens in practice you know you keep coming up against the same feelings of limits of the same walls they can be so simple walls you know we can feel like we sit with a lot of physical pain and and every time we come and sit, you know, we say, this time I'm not going to squirm, or this time I'm not going to sink into dullness, or, you know, this time I'm going to be really awake. A moment later, there it is again. You know, the same pain, or the same dullness, or the same chattering mind, and how quickly the words, I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, and how those those words, you know, often become very visible. You know, we want to curl up, you know, put our head on our knees and get into a fetal position, or else we stay very upright. But the words "I can't" are immediately followed by some glorious, exciting fantasy that we are we are the only ones privy to. The words "I can't" are incredibly powerful. They are incredibly powerful words because in a way with those words we surrender any sense of possibility. We surrender any real sense of vision. The words I can't are based again often upon experiences of pain in the past. Where we have been disappointed, where there has been failure, where there has been rejection, where there has been disillusionment. And so we come up against some sort of wall in the present. We say, I've been here before. You know, I know this one. I can't. We really, I think it is really important to look at the links at times between the past and the present how often we create or have this sense of continuity between the past and the present that is really based upon clinging now there are many things all of us cannot do in this life i mean i i know this myself i i i cannot set any olympic records i i personally can't reverse the laws of gravity i can't um reverse the laws of aging I can't do some things I did when I was 15 fortunately some of them there are many things I cannot do but there is a great immense vast world that is left very open to possibility and somehow that is very and a very important part of healing to have that sense of possibility awake and present within ourselves. The third path that the Buddha spoke about in relationship to pain and suffering was the path of possibility, the path of wisdom and healing. He spoke about it as a path of moving on. So I've mentioned that there is pain none of us will avoid in this life. Loss, certainly in our hearts, will bring grief. You know, separation will bring sorrow. Aging and sickness and death are realities none of us will avoid. But to some extent, suffering is not intrinsic to life, but intrinsic to not understanding. I saw a T-shirt recently in California, had on it, suffering is optional. Sometimes that might feel a little bit kind of superficial, but it is also something for us to look at in those moments when we feel very lost. How many choices do we actually have? And what are the real choices that are available to us? Not the choices of ignoring pain or denying it or, or suppressing it, but in the midst of it. In the midst of it, what are our choices? The path of wisdom is one of having the willingness to turn towards any instance of suffering, any experience of suffering, without fear, without despair, without blame, and to ask ourselves, how is it caused and how does it come to an end? To heal ourselves and to heal our world, I feel it is important that we look actually at the ingredients of healing. Blame and despair clearly do not bring about healing. Dwelling on what has already gone by is a practice of suffering. Fantasy is actually just a practice of confusion and conclusions are actually a surrender to suffering one of the very central ingredients of healing is a sense of vision a sense of possibility and trust because vision is about trust in ourselves and what is possible for us in this life this is not about fantasy it's not about ideals it's carefully nurturing within us both the awareness that all things will change and the openness to looking at what is possible to nurture that spark and that gift of openness that something that this moment is already in the process of changing into something else every moment in our lives is already in the process of changing into something else And we can be a conscious participant in that process. It is not something that just happens to us. We are and can be a conscious participant in that process of this moment unfolding into the next moment. Vision is a very essential part of this path. You know, on the eve of his enlightenment, you know, as the story goes, you know, we've actually mentioned it a few times already. Siddhartha goes and sits under the Bodhi tree. This is India. Life is not always pleasant in India. And he sits under the Bodhi tree. You can imagine if if Siddhartha had sat under the Bodhi tree and said, well, you know, if it's hot, I'm going home you know, if my knees hurt, I quit, you know, if I'm hungry, you know, I'm going to take a break and go out for, you know, a snack or something. You can imagine the whole story of the Buddha's path would be totally different. But that is not the story. The story is that the Siddhartha sat underneath the Bodhi tree and said, I will be here. I will sit until I understand what it means to be free. Now that, that's vision. That is, you know, just very simply what vision is about. It's acknowledging that in this moment, there's a perception of a lack of freedom, or there's a perception of suffering, but I will be present to see what unfolds, to understand, without conditions, you know, just without conditions that is actually the most simple and clear i feel statement of vision within the whole of the buddhist story vision is something we need to in some ways nurture within ourselves we need to remind ourselves i mean none of us would be here unless there was that spark of vision but sometimes we we have these little moments of amnesia You know, and we forget. We just forget. And, you know, and when we forget, then we get into all these kind of detours, you know, and we think, well, I'm sitting here in order to suffer. I'm sitting here in order to prove how much I can endure suffering. Or I'm sitting here in order to, um, you know, prove how good my willpower is. We need to remind ourselves that we sit here in order to be free. We sit here in order to understand what it means to be free. And that's not about some fantasy or some, you know, idealistic notion in the future. That is the spark of vision that again and again simply turns us towards this moment. Vision is something that we nourish ourselves and part of that vision is very clearly looking at our experience here. Not only the moments when we feel peaceful or happy or joyful, but looking carefully at those moments here when we sink and flounder and stumble and get lost. Those moments where we find ourselves dwelling on things. Because these are actually the moments where we actually learn the deepest lessons of our life. To really look carefully at those moments first to know we are lost is a big learning and then to really look carefully at those moments and say what is needed in this moment to actually make a difference what is needed in this moment to unstick to be able to let go of the of the conclusions or the images or dwelling to really ask ourselves what difference would it make if we could embrace this moment of difficulty with a willingness to welcome, with a compassionate awareness with the willingness to let this be with the understanding that if we are truly there we will see the ways in which it is already turning into something else what happens to any painful experience thoughts, memories, feelings body, when they are not burdened with judgments, or with aversion, or with resistance, or labels, what happens to them? In some ways, those experiences and those moments are liberated to change into something else, to continue to unfold. The effect of our aversions, or our resistances, our conclusions, is to give the appearance that nothing is moving, nothing is changing, This is not the truth. To have that willingness to welcome, to be there, to be present, means that we are actually not so much making our home in the content of our experience, but we are actually making our home in our awareness of what is taking place. This is a totally radical shift. It's a totally radical shift. If we make our home in the content of what we're the pain, the thoughts, the feelings, then we feel imprisoned. If we make our home truly come back again and again to seeing what is taking place, to really being aware of what is taking place, we see the ways in which this whole moment is unfolding. I and mean, sometimes when we carry within us you know a burden of conclusions or self-images or pain or hurt we can feel that in order to be present that first we have to heal the past you know this is a very kind of conventional way of thinking that first we must go into the past to find out why we were hurt and who hurt us and what we've done with this and then after we've resolved that we'll eventually come to a place where we can be present without any of that baggage so we often see ourselves as working from the past to the present the meditative tradition has a very different view i think of healing i think more in a meditative tradition the view of healing is that the past is healed by healing the present that it is not a question of moving from past to present but by actually healing the present the past is healed what is it that actually heals the present (coughs) It is not so much a question of focusing upon particular issues or problems that need healing. It is much more looking at how do we actually create and nurture a healing space, a healing environment in this moment. It is not focusing upon specific problems, specific ideas. It is much more looking at what are the ingredients of actually nurturing a healing space in this moment i think this becomes very clear to us a healing space is a space of non-judgment a healing space is a space of forgiveness a healing space is a space of allowing a healing space is a space of seeing clearly a healing space is a willingness let go. A healing space is also a willingness to extend and to foster our own capacities to be with, to be wholehearted, to be present. This is much more our focus and our emphasis. We see that the past has power in the present through clinging, through holding. This is the fuel of the past. To withdraw the clinging, to withdraw the holding, to acceptance, to allowing, to attentiveness. Attentiveness is letting go. Being fully present with is letting go. Attentiveness is acceptance. It's not saying this should be different. It has to turn into something else. Because I think sometimes this is also an obstacle, that we come into practice and we say, you know, I have this in my past, I have this wound, I have this issue in my life, I've got to fix it, and I've got to find an answer, I've got to resolve it. This is not a healing space, it is a space of obsession. And obsession, quite honestly, I feel is a form of self abuse. It is a way of beating ourselves. Looking at the ways in our practice that we actually nurture that space of inner healing, also acknowledging that healing is not just about healing ourselves. In our world, in every moment, there is the same experiences of pain, of sorrow, of loss. There's a tremendous need for healing. But again, it is not through agenda. It is not through formula. Through learning how to touch this moment, with acceptance, with softness, with forgiveness. We also learn how to touch all moments in the same way. If we could just have a moment or two quietly together.